Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about nobody and I am happy to be joined by my friend Daniel Lima to uh, finally talk about a fun action movie instead of some dour movie about race. I bet he's excited about that too. Oh, you know it. You know I've been waiting for this. You know it. Um, we've been making Daniel's you know, one night. No, one night in where? One night in where? <laughs> what time of night? Who is my name? Um. Uh. So. So. Uh. We're we're, we're t- talking about uh nobody, which is the newest film from director. Oh God, I'm gonna mess his name up, but I feel bad. Elia Nasuler, who uh, is, some of you might know from Hardcore Henry, which at this point came out six years ago, which is crazy because it doesn't feel that long ago that I was. Uh, watching that movie or maybe five years it was either a 2015 or 2016 movie it actually might be 2016 yeah so 2016. yeah yeah so it, that was a movie where it's like largely from the um you know point of view of action movie where you're just like it, from the perspective of this main character and it's very inventive and uh but now he's doing a little more of a traditional action movie uh though what's untraditional about this movie is that it stars bob odenkirk as hutch mansell who is a, just an ordinary guy living a, a suburban existence with a family and two kids and very mundane life, working as an auditor for uh, his father-in-law's construction company or something like that, or metal company. Uh, it's not really that important. It's a pretty boring job is all we really need to know, and he's getting kind of tired with his life. One night, some people break into his house and steal some cash, a couple trinkets, and at one point, though, they're about to, they're about to just like kind of let him walk out the door when Hutch's son tackles one of the intruders. Hutch has a chance to just whack one of them with a baseball bat or a golf club, excuse me, and uh, just doesn't take the opportunity. His son's very disappointed in him for not actually taking the intruder out, which results in his son getting a black eye. And his son's kind of resents him. His wife then resents him. He runs into other people in his life who have all heard the story that are like, what are you doing, man? You got to man up, be there for your family. And what actually makes him kind of finally snap is that he finds out these intruders took his daughter's kitty cat bracelet. He goes and tracks them down. And this actually leads him into another scenario when he's on his way back from tracking down, trying to track down this bracelet and a sentimental watch. He's on a bus and he sees a woman being harassed and some underlying violent tendencies get the best of him. And he ends up taking revenge out on these guys who let's just say have some connections to the russian mob uh this movie is also produced by david leach who is behind uh who is uh behind the behind the john wick movies to some extent and uh co-directed the first one and uh written by uh Derek kolstad who also wrote some of the john wick movies and shares a lot of dna with those movies but has some important distinctions too so i guess daniel i know you're a fan of the john wick movies so i'll kind of first ask you uh was it that connection that got that that excited you about this movie was it just the fact that you hey you like action because you you cared about this enough to actually go see this movie in a theater like i did when you'd only seen one movie in a theater since the start of the pandemic and uh i'm wondering was it like what caught your eye about this because you you have like so many other places you can probably like get your action fixed you you just you're very resourceful there you find movies on the internet and you can find a lot of different b movies and you watch all you've forgotten more about action movies than i than i'll ever probably know so what was it about this movie that's really excited you and was like all right well i'm actually really excited to this for this i'm going to put in the request to do the podcast four months in advance what was it that like made you say like i want to go watch this movie nobody with this 58 year old white man kicking ass well, uh, you're right. The, the John Wick connection is, of course, you know, this is clearly Bob Odenkirk doing his own, you know, old man, you know, action movie, which, you know, we've seen a lot more of those popping up uh, in the wake of you. We say John Wick, but honestly, like, you know, it goes back to like, I guess, Liam Neeson and Taken. But right. um, at some point we kind of had to buy Liam Neeson doing the action thing. It wasn't as big of a stretch with Keanu Reeves, given his history. But like, I feel like Bob Odenkirk, even himself, it's a tougher sell, I'd almost say, than Liam Neeson, maybe. At yeah, some point, just I, based on it, what I, saw, we know I saw him in it. 
Sorry, I saw him in an interview actually saying that apparently uh, Ilya mm -hmm. had said that he wanted for this movie, he wanted a, comedi a comedian who went into drama for this role. And I'm not sure what exactly was the impulse for that, but, you know, I think that it ends up working out because the thing that really grabbed me while watching the trailer and re-watching the trailer and re-watching the trailer <laughs> was that it struck, a per, it struck a particular tone that I found, you know, very uh, enticing. Uh, you know, it, 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 it has the same kind of John Wick premise, but it's got a far more comic, cartoonish angle for this kind of hyper-stylized violence. Uh, the, the, I remember the trailer, you know, it's playing like the, this, this old jazz number. Uh, and, you know, jazz actually scores a decent amount of the movie. Well, is that just because uh, of the duality? Is that, of, is that just because of the duality of someone that looks like Bob Odenkirk playing this guy? Or was there something else? Was it just the, someone, something else about it that grabbed you then that made you think, oh, I like this tone? Uh, I think that, yeah, yeah, I would say that the Bob Odenkirk bit uh, kind of was intriguing to me. And, you know, I do trust, have a certain amount of trust in 8711, which is the David Leach's production company. Even though David Leach himself, you know, a bit of a, I, you know, like I'm not a huge fan of like Atomic Blonde. And, and not honestly, to, and, not, and, and, you're not, and, you're not, and you're not big on the Deadpool movies, I guess. He did Deadpool right. too. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So like, uh, you know, I, I do quite like um, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. You're, you're more team, but, Ch you're, you're team Chad though. Yeah, I'm more team Chad, his co-director <laughs> on John Wick. Yeah. Uh, Derek Kolstad, uh, I'm, like, I think that John Wick 1 is the weakest of the trilogy, which is the one where I believe he had sole writing credit. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, honestly, I think that that kind of – we'll get into, you know, my issues with nobody later. And uh, Ilya, I remember enjoying Hardcore Henry when, it, when I got to see it. Uh, which apparently came out in 2015, my apologies. Um, and I thought that it was like a super ambitious movie that, you know, you know, was kind of done in by its premise. But as time has gone on, I've grown to really appreciate it. Right. So honestly, it's just this perfect storm of all these influences uh, that I really like and respect. And, you know, I, I, I of course, like, you know, it's it's just the perfect storm. It's, it's Daniel Bate, you know. So, so So it looked like the perfect storm. Did it live up to the hype for you? Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, it is. I, I'm not sure whether or not it's a four or a four point five, and hopefully by the end of us discussing, I'll be able to come <laughs> to that conclusion. Did, did, well, did you know going in that? Uh, and I will talk. I, I don't want to get too into all the supporting performances at the moment, but I imagine one of the things that probably gave you a, uh, some great pleasure uh, compared to a lot of the rest of the movie might have been the fact that, like, uh, a lot of this, a, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the entertainment value of this movie came from the fact that the RZA and Christopher Lloyd uh, played uh, played his backup. Did you even know that going in? Because I had no idea going in, and I was just like, oh wow, this is like this is a choice, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I did know. Okay, that going okay. In. I had seen little clips from, uh, you know, oh, behind yeah. the scenes. I, I, I only watched. I only watched the trailer like once, so you probably were more. Aware yeah, of that and he was in. And yeah, and Christopher Lloyd was in the trailer, so like, uh, okay, you know, gotcha. I, I knew that going in. Um, and I, 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 I don't know the name of the guy who plays the the barber. Oh, Colin Salmon. Yes, I know that man from somewhere. 
but honestly, like, you know, I'm not a huge, huge actor. And of course, you know, you have uh, in that, you know, bus fight scene, you have uh, Daniel Bernhardt, who is, you know, a very famous stunt coordinator, stunt performer, and Alan Moussey, Alain Moussey, I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly, mm-hmm. but he is, um, uh, you know, a well-known stunt guy and actor. He's, I believe, the star of the two kickboxer directed video sequels that came out in the past, like, decade. Um, so there are recognizable faces here, but, uh, so, you so, know, I, sorry, I kind of sent you off on a tangent there, but I want, I want to ask you then, like, I, cause I, I just got excited to talk about those guys, but what worked for you the most out of this? That was like, was it just like the quality of the action, like really, really met your standards? Oh, absolutely. This is yeah. some of the best action set pieces that I've seen in a while. I and mean, just, you know, I had a big grin on my face laughing in the theater, you know, watching them. They're intricate and they tell a story. You know, you get a sense of who Bob Odenkirk is watching them. And uh, it, 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 it's it, it's really there's, there's stuff I've seen you see in this movie, particularly in that climactic action set piece that I just I haven't seen mm. before. And I always appreciate that sort of unique uh, approach to an action scene and how you tell a story through the action. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny that you mentioned John Wick being the weakest of those movies. And I actually don't disagree on that, though. I really like John Wick, too. I I think that's, you know, it's all relative. And the John Wick movies are all great. It's just I think the the next two are better than the first. And the thing that bothers me the most about the first is that in my favorite part of the first, and I've watched that movie at least three or four times at this point, is when the the main Russian head mobster guy like finds out what his son did to John Wick and explains to his son why he fucked up by fucking with John Wick. And he's like, you can see the fear on his face. And I just really enjoyed that because it says so much about John Wick without John Wick even having to be on screen. And there was I really, that one moment. I'm oh, sorry. There's that yeah. going off of that. You remember that moment in John Wick where like they say uh, where he calls the guy and he's like, why did you hit my son? Yeah. And he's like, because he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. He says, oh, and just hangs <laughs> up like that. I was going to kill you. But right. that, that makes that sense. whole sequence from that point on where that's John Lugazama, you know, having to be like, that's why I punched your son. And uh, just until he actually confronts his son, like it's my favorite part of the movie. I just think it's so well done, and it just te- it tells you so much about what we're going to know about this guy that he has he, he has that kind of myth about him. And I, I just think they do such a good job of setting up who John Wick is in that movie. And then at a certain point, it's like, look, he gives up his son, and then at some point he goes back after John Wick. And you know that the movie ultimately culminates in like John Wick going up against the big bad that is like made it so clear how bad of an idea it is to fuck with John Wick. And after John has just like run roughshod over everyone and then gotten him to give up his son, and he's just kind of given up. He's like, you know what? Even though I gave up my son, now I'm gonna decide I'm gonna go after John Wick after all that. And it's like, yo, like we've seen you be smart enough to realize just how bad of an idea that is. And I just didn't totally buy it. Like after he gave up his son, like I get it, maybe this mobster is prideful, but I just didn't totally buy it. And it was like, wow, part of what I enjoyed about this movie is that everyone was smart in this movie. Like he was like, I'm gonna try and fight John Wick to a point, and then once he realized just how counterproductive that was, he kind of gave up his stupid son. And then he's like, you know what? I'm gonna do something kind of stupid, and I'm gonna try and go after John Wick myself, even though I know how dangerous John Wick is. And I thought with the next two, there was a little bit of that in the next one with that when that guy like goes after John Wick after having him kill his sister or whatever. Uh, you know, but like I still think the second was stronger, and the third I think is the best actually. Uh, here you have this guy here, which and I like that he had that past with him in John Wick. Like I because I, I like that beginning so much, and I and I didn't mind that. I just didn't like the choice they had that character make at the end. Here. I, what I think is so genius about nobody is that he literally is a nobody. He, these guys figure out that he's, you know, these guys come to realize he is fairly dangerous, 
but they don't actually know who he is. So they, they see him doing some damage, and then they see he looks like Bob Odenkirk. So I kind of get why they would keep underestimating him and why the fight has to go to the keep, be, be carried out to this extreme. So there was never a point where I was questioning the logic of this movie. And I just think it was it was super lean. It's only like I, I didn't realize like normally I look up the length of a movie and the ending I think is kind of abrupt, though. I, we'll get to why I think that is. But it, like it's just so lean. It does a good job of setting up the stuff with the family, but it doesn't dwell too much on it. Uh, maybe they could have built those them up as characters a little more, but I think it does what it needs to do there. And it has like a lot of satisfying action and just gets out before you're like left being like, oh, this is like this is dragging or you're getting too convoluted with your plot because it is as simple as that first John Wick plot. The next two John Wick plots get a little more complicated, but I like them. But part of what I like about the first is that it's nice to have a plot that can be that simple and that entertaining. And this movie gets in and out and does that. And there's never a moment when I'm really questioning the logic of any of the actors in this movie. Like I get that this guy has to go back after him when he just like uh, the, the Russian guy has to go back after him when he's just like totally f- flamed everything the guy owns. It's like, of course he needs to like, actually answer for that because he has a lot of other Russian mobsters that he has to answer to that apparently he was hoarding a lot, holding a lot of their wealth for them. So everyone's actions make sense. And that's one thing I ask for in entertainment a lot is I want everyone's actions to make sense. And it does. And it gets in and out in an hour and a half, which I think is really important. I don't, I, I don't always complain when movies are longer if they earn it, but this movie was fully satisfying at like 93 minutes, you know? Yeah. So I think that you raised an, uh, a very good point when you said, talked about how uh, in that first John Wick, they do such a good job establishing his character because mm-hmm. you know the movie. Even though you know it's a very it's a relatively stoic performance, you know so much of that movie rides on your ability to believe in John Wick, the Baba Yaga, the the guy you killed to you hired to kill the fucking boogeyman, you know. And in Nobody, I think that it equally rides uh, as uh, it, it's tantamount that you believe in Bob Odenkirk, not only as this you know utter badass but as this kind of guy who's you know a mild-mannered you know guy trying to trying to get trying to you know live his life with his family who he loves you know which is why i think it's it's so good you have someone like bob odenkirk you know who has the comic chops and the dramatic chops let me ask you now then actually when you're saying that what is your relationship with bob odenkirk because i actually don't talk tv with you that much like for instance i just learned the other day you hadn't watched all the wire have you watched breaking bad have you watched better call saul do you know him from his comedic stuff what is your relationship with him going into this movie i have seen all of breaking bad i think i've seen like the first episode or two of better call saul Mm -hmm. i I don't know what else he's done um wait Oh, he was in the Fargo show. What 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 season was he in? Fargo so he was again? in season one of Fargo, and he plays the guy, he plays like one of the sheriffs that is the boss of that main uh, female officer. Right, and he, he's like so right, he's he's like right. he turns out to be like a genuinely good guy that like adopts like a kid from Africa or something, and is like excited to tell everyone about it. <laughs> and he's like he's like the one like genuinely nice presence besides the female cop on that on that season of television. Uh, so that was what he did there. Right. And that was when he first kind of branched out into like something else that was like not quite as com- com- comic relief as what he was in breaking bad so but like you know the dramatic chops really aren't surprising to someone that has watched all of better call saw like i did you know he's gotten nominated for best actor emmy the best actor in a drama emmy for the five seasons of that show uh but like it's interesting because just because he can do that doesn't mean you're gonna buy him as like this action hero with this dark past even if he better call saul was dark at times so that's why it it, it still is a it's still not it's still somewhat new to me even though i guess i've seen a little more of him than you have you know 
Yeah, I, I just know that he, you know, had done comedy in the past. Apparently, I think he wrote for like the first season of Conan O'Brien, and well, what a, a lot, a lot of people. Are, I know he's a cult favorite for this show he did called uh, Bob and Mister Show on HBO, which is like a sketch comedy show he did with the comedian David Cross. I've never actually, yeah, seen yeah, yeah. That. I know that. Yeah, he had done like something earlier right like so he did that 90s, he was on he was on SNL. he wrote for snl he worked for, wrote for the mr show, show yeah i think i've seen i might have seen a bit of Mr. right so that was where he kind of got his start with all that stuff before do, before doing breaking bad but i was just kind of curious because i didn't actually know your history with him before we started doing this yeah i i don't have really a strong history of course i love saul mm-hmm. uh but like you know yeah that that's about it and like something that i think this this movie does very well is establish him as uh you know like like a very I don't know how to put this. So, like, you know, we start off with him in this facade, living this facade as this family man. And then as the movie goes on, you know, he finds himself being called more and more back into the life. Now, what I think distinguishes this movie from a movie like uh, John Wick or even kind of Death Wish, which is another movie this, this film has been compared to, is that this is a man who wants be re-enter the life i, I actually like, I, I have that exact bullet point on my thing like john wick yeah. doesn't actually want to go back but he has to avenge that dog this guy doesn't have anything to avenge when he once he's on that bus he doesn't have to go to that extent you know yeah he in fact in the scene with the bus he's like i'm I, he's thinking to himself hoping that something happens that requires him right? to i remember like uh, toward the end of the movie you know he attempts to parlay with the villain but then when he gets back in his car and waits to see whether his villain will accept his peace offering, he's crossing his fingers, hoping like on the steering wheel, hoping to God that this man comes out armed to the teeth because he wants nothing more than to get back into this violent lifestyle. It's ultimately who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's this running gag in the movie where he starts telling his life story and who he is to like random mooks just as they're on the precipice of death. <laughs> before he can even finish, they end up dying. It's like the only people he can even share this piece of himself with are the people that he kills. Uh, and I think that it's such a great way to establish who this man is. And he always plays it, even though he is a, this violent man at heart, he always plays it very, very cool, very, very low key. I don't think I don't know that he even really shouts other than like in frustration against the wall when he can't uh, in go on his violent rampage ever in the movie. Like he doesn't really raise his voice. Right. Um, it, it, it's such a interesting portrait of a violent man. I know that Ilya, um, I, I was watching an interview with him where he was saying that, like, you know, he's not trying to make a movie that like endorses necessarily a violent lifestyle. And I think he's managed it simply because of, you know, how uh, cartoonish the movie is uh, and just how utterly sociopathic and clearly deranged Bob Odenkirk's character actually is. None of us, like we all have this sort of wish fulfillment, I think, and certainly I think, it's, it's in an American male who's grown up on action movies. We have this wish fulfillment where we're like, we think we can be this this badass, take no crap from anybody, uh, you know, uh, macho, macho man. And while this movie does have fun with that concept, I think at the same time, it's very clear that there is something 
there's something very wrong with Bob Odenkirk in this movie. Well, there, uh, yes, but and I like what you said about because I hadn't seen that interview where he talked about like wanting to make sure he wasn't like endorsing that kind of violence. But one thing I do respect about the movie, and I already talked about how I thought it was lean. You know, he doesn't have to go to that extent he does on the bus. I'm sure those guys are bad guys. No one's going to really like miss him for any good they were doing in the world. But he doesn't have to go to that extent and to debilitate them like to the to, to the place he does but i like that the movie doesn't like slow down to like question whether what he's doing is okay you know what i mean <laughs> and we don't have to like have some moral reckoning in the midst of the movie because you know sometimes in entertainment when people do bad things we have to like really like watch them process whether or not they're a bad person or something like that which i like that this movie doesn't feel the need to take the time to do we just kind of accept the fact that like look uh this guy he has some darkness that is coming up from the surface and this is how it's manifesting itself and we're off you know and i i respect it i respect yeah. it how efficient it's funny you say that because right after this movie i watched this movie from 1987 called malone starring burt, Re- burt reynolds hmm. it's it, funnily enough it's got almost like the same sort of like starting premise where it's a a spy an assassin who uh is le- trying to leave the life mm-hmm. uh and you know he ends up in like this little you know bumfuck town in like you know the pacific northwest or something and uh you know this guy harasses this girl and he ends up like i think breaking his arm or something and uh when he's talking to this girl she, he he's regretful about it and she's like it's you know, honestly, it's less than he deserved. And, you know, Burt Reynolds is like, maybe it was more like it's a and it's so funny to see that dichotomy <laughs> with that movie next to this one, which I think gets into another strength this movie has uh, that, you know, Derek Colescat has already proven he can do, uh, which is the world building. Mm-hmm. The reason why we don't really have to stop and question the violence is, you know, because this is clearly a bit of a heightened reality. You know, like this is not exactly the world as we know it, not like something like Death Wish, where it's clearly trying to comment on what's going on in the world around it, trying to reveal something about the world around it, trying to say something. This movie, it's very much like a comic, its own comic book universe. Like you could see a world where this becomes like its own franchise separate from John Wick. Uh, Like I said, there's that comedic tone, like, you know, compared to like the very refined settings that we see in um and characters that we see in john wick this one there's sociopaths there's uh, there's people who are who will bash a man's brains in in the middle of a crowded nightclub and colorful like neon lights and um you know like there's this jazz score this pop music score really because i remember there's like a a, a a car chase with scored to heartbreaker hmm. uh, yes, by, um, where the name where the name of the is that the same duo that did crazy and crazy on you um, I'm not the person to ask that to, but uh, okay. Um, well, but but, uh, but, but yeah, no, that in that movie that that song like pops up for like five seconds at another point before that, where like a car door opens up. So it's a little funny kind of continuity thing that they have. But it yeah, they do have a couple eclectic mu- music choices for sure that I I enjoy. Yeah, and it's using like a lot of popular music and mostly jazz, which I think does create like a sort of fun, sort of uh, unique um, um, feel to the movie. Uh, and yeah, like it. it it's a world and just like John Wick one, the best parts of it, I think, are the parts where it leans into that impulse and makes you want to see a bit more of this larger world. And, you know, I'm personally hoping that we get 
uh, a sequel or two, you know, that allows them to expand on it. Yeah, actually, let's save that for the end because I think we can do like a five-minute spoiler section where we talk about that final scene mm-hmm. uh, just to set that up. But uh, you talk about the world building. What was your understanding of we, – we come to learn that – we kind of learn his job was like doing something kind of shady for the government. It's not fully explained, but taking care of people that needed taken care of. Uh, but then at some point when his, when his wife is stitching him up after the first uh, bus chase scene, what was your understanding of what she – the level of knowledge he had about his prior life? Because he makes a comment. Oh, yes. I understand. Yeah, I understand why you're confused. Well, he made some. He made some kind of comment to her, where he's like, you know, this reminds me of the old days. But they don't. But she's also pretty confused. Once like he sends them to his bunker, and they come out and see dead bodies all over their house, and she wants to know what the hell is going on. So like, it seemed like he was intimating she had some knowledge of the fact that he used to get into some shit, but obviously not to the extent that she comes to see when she sees that house after the house invasions. Yeah, that was him just making a joke oh, like, oh you know, okay that was gotcha. i understand because like for a moment i was like wait what but as the movie went on i was like oh so that's a joke honestly that's oh, one of those okay things like all right yeah that's on that I, admittedly that's a little bit on derek uh which gets into i think the, the thing that holds me back a little bit from how much i enjoyed this movie is that you know it is a bit routine uh john wick one i remember you know being absolutely hyped for that when that came out, I remember seeing that one in IMAX. Uh, and I saw it in IMAX with my friend Justin, mm-hmm. who we were both super hyped because we were like, oh, this is like a clean, stunt forward, uh, like action heavy, mid budget movie being released in theaters. Okay, we are in. Uh, and this is in 2014, you know, when like Taken, the Taken approach to action is kind of, you know, what's reigning. And you know, we, we enjoyed all the action and we wanted to see more and we wanted to see more of that world. But the movie itself is a bit typical. It's a bit too typical. Like we've seen plenty of like direct video action movies that had gone over this same sort of stuff before. And while this was you have seen enough direct to video action movies that have gone over this before. I feel like movies. People that really just go to see the action movies when they're in the theaters, this has a lot of shared DNA with John Wick. But I think we already talked about how it does have some important distinctions. Fair enough. But like what I was saying, though, is that with John Wick, when we first saw it, that in theaters, it had all been like, you know, it was one of those things like this is a very familiar story. The badass comes out of retirement for revenge. We've seen this kind of action movie before, even if you're not as schooled in DTV as I am. And in the years since the release of John Wick 2014, we have seen plenty of action movies that take the same approach, you know, following in the wake of John Wick. Honestly, we've seen this movie come out before. Like, I think with the exact, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I think the movie The Accountant has even, like, the, the character works the same job. So, like... Yeah, he um, is an auditor of sorts, but The the Accountant is, is his own weird thing. I mean, like... I, 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 fair enough, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. My point here is that, yeah, my point here, though... You, is like, that, you like The Accountant? Like, the concept of... I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, I thought you had. I, I'd be curious to yeah, see what saying, you think. Yeah, I was saying... I was saying no, I'm, I, I, if, if, if you, yeah, if you end up watching it, I want to know what you think because that was one I actually talked about on the old podcast I used to do with uh, with Anthony, and like we both actually liked it, and it got shit on by the critics. So I would be curious to see yeah, what you thought I if heard, you do end I, up yeah, watching. That's what kept me away from. It. That's what kept me away from it. But then I started thinking. Since when recently, is it, since when have the critics not liking something kept you I, away from it? Yeah, since when? Yeah, since when? <laughs> Why the fuck? So uh, I need to get to that. Sorry, I, I sidetracked you. Sorry, keep, sorry, I sidetracked you. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we've seen this sort of movie before where the badass, you know, tries to abandon his life 
Uh, honestly, uh, Red comes to mind also. You remember Red from 2010? I did not watch that one. Or, you mean, yeah, is that the one with like the old people? No. Yeah, yep, Bruce yep. Willis Bruce and Helen Willis Mirren. And, uh, and Morgan Freeman and, Morgan Freeman. and uh, what's his name? John Malkovich. And they're like old retirees from the life who end up getting pulled back in. And it strikes that same sort of comic tone. Um, so, you know, we've yeah, Helen, seen Helen, this. Helen, Helen, Helen Mirren is also in that. I was right. Yes. Helen Mirren is yeah. also in that. Yes. Um, Ernest so, Borgenine? Like, you know, I, I, wow, that dude is – that dude must have been old at that point. Who was? Ernest Borgenine. He's like he's like an old-time actor. Like, So he would have been like 83 when that came out or 93 when that came out. Like, good for <laughs> yeah, him. They, they, yeah, the, 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 the uh, acronym for that movie is Retired and Extremely Dangerous. <laughs> um, um, but yes, uh, so I've seen this kind of movie before. It's not unfamiliar even to like yeah, average movie goer. And, you know, this movie doesn't do a whole ton – to subvert your expectations. I think that it is very well done, but it is fair kind of by the numbers. No, yeah, you're right. They're not reinventing the wheel by any means, but I I appreciated the distinctions that it did have from John Wick because that was naturally where my mind was going to go. You said it was well done. Uh, I want to ask you about the action a little more specifically. I mean, you're not a professional stuntman by any means, but you've seen a lot of movies. I, I think it honestly affected my my rating of The Bourne Legacy when we watched it a few months ago together to hear you breaking down the ways in which that movie's action was not good. And uh, it's funny, mm-hmm. since, we've been, since we've been on this podcast, I looked up The Bourne Legacy on Wikipedia. It had a budget of $125 million. And you know what the budget of uh, Nobody was? How much? $16 million. So... <sighs> I, you know, I, I'm curious, like when you hear that and you hear that the born, the born, it had over the born legacy had over 120, hundred million dollars more to work with. What about this movie's action is better than that movie's action? If you can try and explain that to people that might not just like have seen as much as you have seen. Okay. Well, something that I, I got to go back to John Wick a little bit here, because I think, you know, the DNA of this movie is heavily intertwined with John Wick's and John Wick. Same presented thing. like a turning point in how Western movies approached action. And also John Wick, uh, I should say, I'm pretty sure I'm going to confirm this in two seconds. Pretty sure it only had like a $30 million budget. Those things obviously got bigger for John Wick though. It made for, it says 20 to 30 million. So almost the same amount of money. Like these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so John Wick, you know, the thing that made it such a revelation was that you had the sort of mid budget um, or, you know, low end of mid budget movie coming out theatrically where the action was not being uh, cut up because what had become kind of part of the course in the wake of like the Bourne series was that, you know, when in shooting action, you'd shoot up close, you'd shoot for coverage, meaning that instead of, you know, knowing exactly what shots you're going to use as you're shooting them so that you don't have to like, you know, do a ton of editing in the room in post-production, you could just assemble like, all the different footage that you have and make a fight scene that, you know, had a certain sort of energy to it where like, you know, things are happening that are too quick for you, the viewer to register um, in born. This is used to like, you know, create like a kind of realistic uh, fight scene sort quote unquote in which, you know, like you can clearly see that these guys are going, doing some hand to hand advanced techniques that you can't even really follow. Cause they're so, so, so much better than you at this. And so many quick cuts um, too. Often, yeah, and so many quick cuts, which gives the impression of like a forward momentum to the fight scene uh, where it's hectic and, you know, dangerous. And, you know, you don't know where, thing, where, things are, where things are happening really within the scene. But 
you know, it's also used as a shortcut. That style is also used as a bit of a shortcut to, you know, gloss over your the inability for the lead to actually execute those action scenes. So, like, you'd see that often with Liam Neeson movies uh, where there's all these cuts because, you know, the man is like 60 something and, you know, he can't do that much. And, you know, what little he and, you know, what little he can do looks bad. And the rest of it is all a bunch of stuntmen. Uh, so these scenes would be shot in the dark and, you know, you just wouldn't be able to really tell what was happening. And it's also way, way cheaper and less time consuming to do this approach. Um, what John Wick did was kind of, you know, lay down the gauntlet to a lot of these action films uh, and say, look, you're going to want to see the action. Like the audience wants to see the action. They want to see the stunt performers. They want to see if the action, if your star can do the action. They want to see that. Um you know, there's very much kind of the approach that uh, Tom Cruise likes to take with his movies. Uh, this follows in that, you know, th- follows that trend where you have like a big budget. And I specify mid-budget because, you know, in direct-to-video, this is, you know, while not universal, this is fairly common. You have guys like Isaac Florentine and Jesse V. Johnson uh, for their, uh, you know, for most of their careers shooting action like this. Uh, so it's not unusual in the, you know, micro budget realm to see things done this way in a mid budget movie where you get to have like, uh, an actual budget that allows you to stage some very unique and creative, uh, set pieces. The finale is basically just a whole bunch of booby traps going off. Uh, why in the midst of all this, you know, hand to hand combat, close quarters, combat, sniping, shooting explosions are going off and you can clearly see what's happening in every shot like there's a sense of geography to the scene so you know exactly how much danger a character is in in any given situation you know who's around them you know what they have available to them there are shots set up in the action set piece there are shots that are set up at the beginning of the movie Mm. Uh, specifically, that's little. There's a little section where he's in like the kitchen of his workplace. There are goons yeah. after him. Let's, uh, yeah, let's he, not let's he, not give that away yet. But yes. Okay, I apologize. I no, apologize. You, you didn't go there, but, but I, um, I get I get what you're saying. And uh, one thing I'll say is that because uh, I want to talk about I want I want to have a little quick spoiler section to talk about that last scene so we can do it right, more right, freely. Right. But I will say one thing I will note is that you know we were talking about how like with Born Legacy it was like a lot of quick cuts and yeah they might have had more maybe they might have had a lot of authentic hand to hand combat going on in it but like it's hard to harder to appreciate that when you're just when you're cutting and doing a lot of close ups and all that and you know that scene on the bus and nobody it is in tighter quarters than any scene in all of Born Legacy though it feels like it's shot wider. And, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I, and I feel like I can understand the, I don't know if the geometry of or the geography or the layout, because what kind of layout does a bus have? But I feel like I had a sense of where everyone was on well, that thing. Actually, yeah. Yeah. That's actually what I'm talking about yeah, because, yeah, you yeah. Know, in the way that you can imagine this being shot in like a taken movie mm-hmm. or a born movie, you don't actually know exactly where people are. Uh, you know, there are, you see in some like the worst examples of this, like a guy will be kicked. And that motion will have four separate shots. And when he falls to the ground, there will be five separate shots. So you have no idea, you know, even if he falls to the ground, like there's a, you know, I think that happens in this movie where, you know, Bob Odenkirk is kicked. He falls onto one of the bus benches and then the bench kind of closes on him and he falls to the ground. Um, And that takes place over like one or two shots versus a board movie where like that would be like 10. And then you wouldn't know how far away he is 
You wouldn't know where he is in relation to the four goons on the bus. You wouldn't know whether, you know, all right, that guy is still on the ground recuperating from when he broke his wrist or whatever. Uh, I, I, that is what we mean when we talk about geography in an action scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, being able to see that even within these tight quarters, like that, it can be done. Yeah, and, and the, I appreciate that this is a movie that does that. Yeah, and the, the the scene in the house was obviously well done in its own right, but that was something mm-hmm. that felt less original than the bus, just because well, like actually. I, oh, sorry, continue. No, I was just gonna say like we John Wick. The first action scene in John Wick is kind of a house invasion. So I, I, I maybe you could speak to something if you, if you felt like something and nobody was a little more distinct from that, then I appreciate you ex- explaining why you think that is. But I still enjoyed watching it, but the, I was just more taken by the bus scene because the house thing felt like something I'd kind of seen before. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. This is one of those things where it's like, okay, well, the movie is a little bit, you know, derivative. Yeah. Uh, I'll admit to that. However, what I appreciate is that as we were talking, uh, something that also that I would love to see in an action movie is personality, not just in how you're staging the set piece and what exactly is going on. Uh, like, you know, like an obvious example of like a personality in a fight scene would be like being set to music and having, right. you know, the cues of the music match up with who's getting hit. That would be an example of personality. But um, another way of expressing personality is showing like who this person is, like telling you who this person is communicating, uh, uh, who the characters are. And I think this does a good job of distinguishing from John Wick in how these characters approach the action. In John Wick, there are little beats. I'm mean, talking about the first movie specifically because they do this more in two and three. There are only brief moments where we get a kind of like comic rhythm going on. Uh, specifically, there's a there's a there's a shot in the club scene shootout in John Wick where John Wick hits a guy in the throat and then goes to shoot him like point blank, but realizes the gun is empty and then he has to reload while the guy is still kind of choking from the punch to his throat and he reloads and then just shoots him in the head and it's you know it's kind of a funny little like one second scene in the midst of this big action set piece uh with this movie uh it's specifically the but generally in john wick like you know it's fairly straightforward good action but you know like you know you get the sense that he's an efficient killer a remorseless efficient killer here you know he is also a remorseless efficient killer but there's almost a comic uh, energy to me in how he goes about it. Watching this guy take down the people coming into his home, unlike John Wick, where it's like, you know, he's in, you know, you get the sense that he's a professional. He's assassin. a machine, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a machine. And here, there's that sense too. But it, what's funny to me is watching him kind of just walk around. Like he's not doing like this kind of tactical. Uh, three points of contact kind of like shooting stance or anything that John Wick does. No, he's just walking around his house. He grabs a knife out of the kitchen cabinet and then stabs a guy, walks away before the other guy, the guy in front of him notices. It's like watching a Hitman game. You've played Hitman before. No, but I know what you mean. Uh, okay, and... yeah, it's like watching a Hitman game. He's just walking around his own house, right. well, hitting people with baseball uh, bats, yeah. shooting them. To that, point, to that point also, he's just rusty and... Uh, John Wick does, you know, here and there throughout those three movies, he has moments where he might get shot, but it doesn't really actually limit what he can do. Uh, he might take a punch here or there, but like, you don't ever really see him struggle that much. And I think that's another important distinction with this movie is that like, this guy is a badass in his own right, but he gets thrown through that bus window in that bus scene. Like he gets, he gets, he gets, he gets stabbed. He gets legitimately beat up. He gets thrown through the bus window. 
And then when the bus driver asks him, are you all right? He goes, wait a second. And then he just walks back into the bus <laughs> and prepares for more. And it's it's very, very funny. And I, I just wanted to point that moment yeah, out. Yeah, so, I and, and, yeah. And I, I, I think I knew he'd gotten stabbed, but I didn't realize that the knife was left in there. So it's, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. when you see him actually slowly pull the knife out of his side. Uh, so there's that. And also just like... I I, th- I do think he like struggles a little bit more in the house than like John Wick does in that house scene. So there are important distinctions there as well. We're gonna. I, I want to move to the spoiler section though. Um, I think it's clear to say you recommend this movie. Uh, so do I. I think people have gotten a good uh, impression of that. We, and I don't think we've really spoiled exactly how it ends. So I think it's worth doing it this way. And if you uh, we you know I think this movie is going to be on demand uh, within a week of when I air this podcast. So if you haven't seen it in a theater and you know I think I think you can still enjoy it in your home. It's not quite the scale of some something like what I'm assuming uh, Godzilla versus Kong is going to be. I think you can enjoy it in your home if you're just not ready to go to the theater yet. Uh, I'm partially... Well, no, you can't because this movie is only coming out in theaters for now. No, it's going to be... That's what I'm saying. It's going to be on demand on April 16th, though. So, oh, say, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that on its... it's it, that's, that's on its Wikipedia. So uh, I think I'm going to be putting it out before then. But I'm just saying uh, at that point, though, uh, you know, I think you can enjoy this more than like, you know, maybe a Marvel movie or a or something like Godzilla versus Kong, though, if you have a chance to see it in theaters and you're vaccinated and you feel comfortable. I went with my dad who was fully vaccinated and I was partially I'm I'm partially vaccinated at this point. So I felt safe doing it. If you feel safe, I highly recommend seeing it in a theater because I highly recommend anyone seeing anything in a theater, not just action movies, though. uh, If you just don't think you're going to have a chance to make it to a theater, highly recommend giving it a rental and then coming back and listening. Daniel and I talk about the end because I have some more specific thoughts on the end I want to get to before we actually finish this up. So you can go away now and then uh, come back and we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about it then. Uh, and you listen to us talk about the end. Daniel, uh, we already kind of hinted at it. You know, I think that last scene is pretty interesting in that, um, or that last action sequence is pretty interesting in that it's very booby trap heavy, which is interesting. And I enjoy watching some of that stuff. That's something, again, it's another important distinction from John Wick. Uh, in that, like, this is not something he relies on, and it's a fun, different type of thing to watch. But what I would have, if you have any thoughts on that, I'm happy to hear them. I want to focus on more, though, at first, is because we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how it was cool watching Riza and Christopher Lloyd get in on the action. It's not surprising to see Riza get in on the action, but it, they kind of intimate earlier in the movie that uh, Christopher Lloyd is like, you know, there's more to him that meets the eye when you first meet him. And even when he first, like, shoots those guys that show up at his senior living facility, you don't actually know if he's the kind of guy that was capable of getting out of his chair and like doing what he does in that final scene he might just be with it enough to like hold some guns while he's sitting in his lazy boy but it's pretty fun to watch him walk around and same with Riza. but at the same time i'm thinking i could easily see this movie just for the emotional stakes of it killing one of these guys off you know i mean john wick at least like kills that dog off not that i'm saying i'm happy to watch a dog die but i'm just saying you expect a movie of any kind of that has just that to want to have stakes and uh, d- uh, generate an emotional moment of that sort. And in a way, I think the movie subverts your expectations by not doing that, though I was bracing myself for it happening. Uh, as you're watching that final sequence, are you waiting for one of those guys to die, or are you just super entertained by the action? How did you take in that final sequence in the warehouse? Um, well, I mean, I took it in on just like, this is clearly the stunt guys going fucking bananas yeah uh <laughs> like outside of like just the choreography of all the you know, like you know close quarter fights there's one brilliant little sequence with rizza and a sniper rifle in like a small hallway uh which is you know a sniper rifle is a long distance weapon it's kind of you know cumbersome like you don't expect that to be used in the middle of a fight scene and uh here it is being used 
so brilliantly. Like, I mean, hats off to whoever choreographed that. But I think it might have been Daniel Bernhardt. I believe he was the fight coordinator. But, um, I, you know, there's like this wonderful little sequence of a guy getting ratcheted. There's like a little booby trap with like poles that get like long that turn into like long flechettes and like stab a bunch of dudes. And uh, there's a lot of smart payoffs uh like i was talking earlier in the episode and then you cut me off uh so we could talk about it here like there's a moment in like the the, the kitchen where like earlier mm-hmm. in the movie he's handed a, a gun by you know the douchebag brother-in-law it's, it's, it's definitely a chekhov's gun thing but it works you know yeah it just works you know he's getting shot at he uses the uh fridge as a shield and then pulls the gun out <laughs> and off the guys it's such a brilliant use of the environment in that scene which is you know what you want this is like a a jackie chan 101 like basic like this is what you're gonna want to do for a brilliant fight sequence uh and yeah it's just absolutely exhilarating now to the point of whether or not i was prepared for one of them to die on the one hand kind of yes because you know that's how these sorts of movies go you know like you know somebody's got to die in order for the guy to have like kind of emotional stake uh, for the ending, mm-hmm. uh, for the finale. And uh, at the same time, like the tone of this movie is clearly more cartoonish and uh, comedic than something like John Wick. So uh, I don't know. Like I, I kind of was like when I saw Riza get shot and he didn't immediately die, I right. was like, OK, so I guess they're good. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, that gets into something we forgot to talk about, uh, the villain of the movie. I don't have a lot um, to say on him. I mean, like, I, he, he obviously is fairly deranged when he murders that guy in the nightclub. But like I said, I kind of get everything he does. You know, I, in my head, I was comparing him to that John Wick villain. I hate to keep bringing up the John Wick comparisons, but this movie just begs to do them because they even made these guys Russian. They didn't have to make them Russian, but they made them Russian. <laughs> so I'm sorry. You're going to get me. You're just going to draw more John Wick comparisons. Than right, that point. right. And it's not a problem because, like I said, I think it compares just fine to John Wick. But it's like. I was like, all right, like this guy's kind of ridiculous, a little more over the top than that John Wick guy, but like, I get what he does. I don't know if you had any more specific thoughts on how he works in this movie, but it's so he served his purpose to me. Uh, well, my, my what I, I, I admittedly, that's not really my, uh, my, my baggage with the villain. My thing is just more that he's a, uh, it's kind of generic, you know. Like, there's a sure. great, that great opening, like establishing moment with him in the nightclub. And then after that, he's kind of just your average Russian uh, gangster villain that you've seen before. And there's not a lot to distinguish him other than he really likes to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, which means that and also because there's no like it's not like he kills one of the family members. It's not like he uh, kills one of Bob Bodenkirk's friends. He just he just. What was it? I don't even remember what exactly was the beef. I think he sent people to his house, but you know, Bob Oden. Yeah, it, it, apparently it's just like an unspoken rule, like you don't involve the family in these matters, and he involved the family by like yeah, legit going but, to his house. But, 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 but Bob Oden kind of killed his brother. Survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and John, John Bob Oden yeah killed his brother. <laughs> so like, it's 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 tough for me. There's no real emotional stake. So in that last moment, where like you know he rushes in with the claymore strapped to a which i mean awesome moment but also i'm just like i mean why do you hate this man so much again like uh and you know part of that is that like the character we have established wants to do this 
Like he just needs an excuse to kill somebody. But, because but he, 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 he doesn't know. He doesn't know if they're going to go after his family again. So at that point, I kind of get it. Uh, I mean, yeah, but that's not how the movie plays it. The movie plays it like he just wants the excuse. Sure, sure. Um, which is which ultimately ends up meaning that, you know, like it feels paltry, like the actual comeuppance for the villain, um, because the villain hasn't so far actually done anything to harm Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Bob Unikirk's the one who decided to go burn his house down. So, like, I, I don't know. Actually, what to that, tell that, you, that's so. one, that that it's funny you say that. That's one criticism I actually did have of the movie as a just a bigger, I guess, slightly one of my three, two or three criticisms was that when he does, I, I forgot what the name of it is. It's like the obstacles or something like that, where he's maintaining a lot of money for the Russian mob and he keeps a lot of his fancy paintings in the same spot. I think it's a little weird, you know. Like I said, I respect that the movie gets in and out in like basically an hour and a half. Though I think it could have devoted like five more minutes to the sequence where he does like Bob Odenkirk just burns all of his shit down because uh, it was kind of weird the way in which it uh, reduced that to a little bit of a montage. It like underscored just how uh, impressive it was that he pulls that off, uh, and it, it doesn't feel like it goes all in and makes that the action scene it could be where he is infiltrating this thing and just burning everything the guy owns. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm with it's, you. It's, That's it's a, like one of those things where like the the the, the impulse to have like a sort of stylish little sequence where like. Uh, I forgot what's the song. They, they, they said it to music, playing. yeah. And I, I should I should have looked that up. They said it to music, and they want, they're going for something specific. And I, again, I like eclectic music choices when like gnarly shit is going on, and you just have a song playing. I'm all for that. Yeah, but it's like it's like being intercut between uh, the villain singing karaoke at a nightclub yeah. and like him burning the stuff down. And it's one of those things. Like I see you wanted to do something cool and stylish. But like I think ultimately kind of backfired because most I think most people in this audience, me myself certainly included, would just would just rather see Bob Odenkirk kicking ass, man. Yeah, and, and you just kind of see him running through it on his own, and it's like, yeah, I get it. This guy is highly trained and has a special set of skills and all that, but like again, he's still like a fifty eight year old dude. It's 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 impressive and interesting to see him pull all this stuff off and i think they obviously it's obviously within their it's the filmmakers have the capacity to actually do an interest they definitely have the capacity to do an interesting scene where he like just rampages through this place and instead it's a little bit weird that it's like just kind of like reduced to a music montage and i get it they wanted to do something different compared to what they had with the house and this i think it would have been different from the house enough on its own to have him being on the offensive you know and him just like going all in whereas like he's kind of on the defense and he's on the offensive in the bus sequence but like that's a much different setting than this thing that he has to infiltrate and burn all of the villains things to the ground and whereas you know again with with the final sequence and the and his the house sequence like he's on the defensive like i think it would have been different enough on its own and it would have like actually made it feel like a big feat and interesting and uh, impressive whereas it kind of like it almost like i it was almost over before I realized it in the way they did it. And that's, just, I mean, again, I really love this movie. It's just like, that was one thing that like at the time I was like, wait, wow, he just did all that. And I didn't even kind of realize it. Cause they just kind of zipped through it in this, uh, back and forth montage with this guy doing karaoke. Yeah. I'm with you. I think we both agree on that final, uh, sequence in the, I know, I know like you said, you may not have had the same quite, uh, expectation I did of the, of, of one of those guys getting murdered, but well, actually that's where I want to end. Like they, they don't get murdered. Did you know there was a mid credit sequence in this movie? I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't stay for it. I should have told you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I kind of, I was kind of hoping beyond hope that even though this movie is a universal movie and John Wick is a Lionsgate movie, I was hoping beyond hope that we'd get 
something tying in the two series, <laughs> like the two movies. I was just really, really pulling for it. So I stayed and I saw the this little mid credit sequence. And it ended up just being Riza and uh, Christopher Lloyd driving to some undisclosed location with a truck full of guns. Right, and I would have uh, I would have been totally fine with that. Um, you know, some people might have rolled their eyes if they tried to tie it in, and I'm sure that you know the powers that be and all the you know the rights people they could have found a way to do that if they really wanted to. I feel like it would have been worth yeah, their while been, because was, like there's a there's a little moment there's a little moment where like Christopher Lloyd says like uh, where Christopher Lloyd's like so you were you were in like a hallway and you killed like three people with a sniper rifle because that happens in the movie mm-hmm. and Riza's like yeah. Yeah, and I was hoping beyond hope that his next line would be like, I knew a guy who killed a guy with a pencil. <laughs> like, yeah. I was really hoping, but it ultimately didn't happen. It didn't happen. And I would have been totally fine if they, like, did that. And, like, you know, crazier things have happened in movie crossovers or TV crossovers and stuff like that. And that would have been cool because, again, I think this movie stood on its own. It would have been fine if they wanted to go somewhere like that. Regardless, it's clear that when they made this movie, and I'm – fairly certain they've uh, filmed this in like you know they filmed this thing in 2019 before the pandemic and uh i'm fairly certain that they had in mind like we want to do some kind of yeah so they filmed in uh yeah september 2019 and uh and finished by november 2019 basically so they they were doing this thinking this is going to be like a a low budget thing where we make a lot of money like the john wick first low book the first low budget john wick movie did and then maybe this will turn into something else and that's very clear by the fact that 87 11 sorry no i'm just saying that's very clear by the fact that no one died and that they had this mid-credit sequence you know it's a little interesting now it's hard we haven't i feel like a couple other movies have probably come out in the last year that i'm not thinking of thinking of off the top of my head that have like maybe wanted to set up a, a sequel of sorts to their movie and uh who knows and it's hard to evaluate the box office but i think the fact that they uh if you look at wikipedia right now the fact that this movie's already made 12.1 million dollars off a 16 million dollar budget uh just in its first weekend like it's i mean you know that but that budget number you see on Wikipedia, yeah, I get it. It's not the bottom line when you factor in marketing costs and stuff like that. But I think the fact that this movie, when you factor in the forthcoming weekends and you know more people probably getting vaccinated and feeling fine going to the movies, plus whatever it makes on VOD, like it's going to make a little bit of money. And that's damn impressive, at the, even at this point when we're a little bit in the later stages of the pandemic. So I I mean, I think there's a good chance we get a sequel, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And I think you probably enjoyed the RZA and uh, Christopher Lloyd characters enough who this heavy implies they'll be involved and i'm here for it and i'm wondering if you had any thoughts about it you actually saw that mid-credit sequence i only read about it and how you feel about there possibly being a sequel to this movie even if it's not in the john wick universe yeah i'm in for it yeah screw it why not mm-hmm. uh i'm in for it i think that 87 uh 87 11 or 87 north i think is the current is the new name uh the production company already has like a little uh i mean i think the okay i think the movie is kate um which is a female assassin poison given 24 hours to live and she goes on a manhunt it's going to star mary elizabeth winstead and it's going to be released on netflix this year uh i believe it was on the i think this was the script that was on the blacklist where i read the premise and i was like oh so i guess this is just jane wick um like i guess they're just ripping themselves off at this point which i'm absolutely down for and i would like to see like a little scene where like she meets the rizzo or something like that like i i'm sorry like if i i want the cinematic low budget mid-budget action do some cloverfield shit all those cloverfield things are trying to tie together why can't why can't this company do that yeah why not yeah keep them coming i don't care i want to see john wick nine 
I want to see. I like keep them coming, uh, injected into my veins. All right. Well, Absolutely. I think we both recommend this movie highly, and it's you know it, it, again as we've already said a few times, it's not that long. It's it's an easy commitment, and you'll be able to see it on VOD very soon if you don't go to the theaters. But if you are if you have the if you feel safe going to the theaters, I, I also highly recommend doing that. Uh, Daniel, obviously, we normally wrap up with recommendations, but within like a week of this airing, we're going to have our top ten podcast where people are going to get a bunch of your recommendations, and we're on a time crunch right now, so mm. I'm not going. to I know we're on a time crunch. Do you, do you have something you want to say? Do you have I'm something sorry. you want to recommend that's not I'm in your top ten? Sorry, you're the one that yeah, has to go to work not, soon, so I, I, you can, you can say whatever you want. I know, I know. But as like over the past two days, I've seen like a half dozen like R-rated movies that in some way tie into nobody. Go for it. Um, go for it. Of go them, for the best for me, the best for I mean, we all, I already talked about Malone, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty much the exact same starting premise. But I think the best of the bunch that I've seen was A Walk Among Tombstones. I've heard of that one. I've never seen it. Are you familiar with that I've one? I've heard of it. Yeah, I've never that seen is it. a Liam Neeson movie. It's a kind of a neo-noir based on like a 90s novel. Uh, you know, it's just this old – he's a retired cop uh, who became an unlicensed private detective. And he's just trying to solve a, a, a kidnapping or a murder case uh, that, you know, happened to the wife of a drug kingpin. Uh, I think that it's a very – I think it's a very interesting textured movie. Uh, it's got one of the best Liam Neeson performances I've seen. Uh, it has a lot of people that you're going to go and see them and go, oh, he, oh, it's that guy. I think David Harbour is in it. Dan Stevens, who's the star of Legion on FX. Um, I, I thought it was really, really great. I think it might be my favorite Liam Neeson movie. So wow. recommend that one. And also and also uh, just because of the RZA connection, I've got to sh- give a shout out to Shogun Assassin which is the American recut of the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies from Japan, uh, turns what's a, what's a fairly you know, quiet, understated, uh, beautiful action series uh, from Japan into like a grindhouse movie. Hmm. And it's honestly, it manages to do that while still kind of retaining that quiet beauty. Uh, it's used as the backbone for the Jizza album from like 92 or 94, Liquid Swords. Um, if you like your Wu-Tang, you know, that's that's a RZA produced joint, uh, one of the greatest albums ever made. And if you love the album, you'll watch this movie with a smile on your face as you hear these classic lines that you'd only heard in samples before. So highly recommend. One more question before we sign off, though. Yeah. Let's say you get to do your own John Wick uh, uh, nobody movie where you get your middle-aged star and turn him into an action star. All right? Who are you picking? Oh, God. that's. I mean, I, I would have loved to think about this if you had uh, told me you were going to post this question beforehand, but it sounds like you might already have someone in mind. So uh, give me a few seconds and you go for it. Do you have one? Uh, well, honestly, like for me, for me, like for the fact that he was an utter piece of crap, um, apparently, uh, I would go with um, Wesley Snipes. I didn't know he, he had. I didn't know. I, I I did not know he was problematic. Aside from not paying his taxes, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he beat on his wife. He oh. Beat on uh, what's her name? Uh, Halle Berry. Uh, yeah, which you know, I, I was so disappointed to learn that. But um, if not him, though, like there's honestly, I would pick probably one of these old '70s cats. Like I know that they're probably in their '70s now, but I'm sorry. Like I would love to be able to do gordon lou i would love to be able to do like um oh actually no i'm sorry i, I would love to do those guys like sunny chiba you know one of those old like 70s martial artists but honestly 
or Bolo Young would be a good one too. But honestly, I think my pick would probably be man, what's his name? He's going to be playing the Mandarin in uh, in the Shang Chi movie. Shoot, I, you know who this is? Yeah, well, I don't, I, I don't have his head. I, I, I know, I, I heard this. Uh, Saint Chi, Tony Long, no, Tony Long. No, I'm sorry, not Tony Long. I'm sorry, it's not Tony Long. Who's the guy from Wu Assassins? Hold on, I'm so sorry yeah, to, the, no, to have, the viewers I'll, I'll at home. Going, Byron Man, Byron Man. Oh no, I don't know who that is. Actually, I, th- I thought, I thought it was someone I'd heard of. Actually, you, but no. Well, no, 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 no. I, I just pulled up the IMDb for that movie. It's Tony Ling. That's the guy's name that's playing the Mandarin. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And then I said, like, oh wait, no, it's the wrong guy. Um, no, it's Byron Mann. Okay, okay. Byron Mann would be my pick. He played Ryu in the Street Fighter movie. He's in Man with the Iron Fist. He's in The Big Short and The Expanse. I don't know what the average, the average person is going to know him from, but like I know him the most from Wu Assassins. The the Netflix show, which I guess now is only going to be a one season show. Uh, yeah, that would be my pick for my uh, old man action movie star. What about you? God, you know, I didn't quite get to that point when I, I mean, I was just thinking of it and I didn't, no one like jumped to mind initially. I was trying to think of someone that was like a little more like unexpected that hadn't done that kind of thing that might be more known for comedy. For some reason, the first place my head went was John Hamm, who started drama as opposed to Odenkirk and then has done a lot of comedy in like guest spots on TV shows. Mm-hmm. And but, like, I mean, he John did, Hamm, he, he, played, he played, he was pretty deranged in Baby Driver in that role. Uh, so we've seen him kind of do a little action before, but I, I, I guess as I was like sitting here, like trying to think about it and uh well shoot i just i, I just had oh you know who uh, you know what i'll say i'll say ray romano because he is a guy that Ooh, is that is like he's a guy that like i guess i was trying i guess my head went to trying to think of something as similar as john ham but i think he's very similar to john ham not just in the fact that like he got his start as a stand-up comedian and had a very popular sitcom but like he has been very smart the last few years in like picking other kind of dramatic roles where he's not like pure, pure 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 dramatic serious actor he's in the big sick which is kind of a comedy but like you know he's a dad that's like daughters in the hospital he's in that martin scorsese produced uh hbo series vinyl and i only watched like two episodes of that but everyone gave him really good reviews for that he did this show called men of a certain age which again i didn't see very much of but like people loved him in that and he was in the irishman and really good in the irishman but like never quite gotten to get as rugged as something like this would allow he's still like in his very early 60s i think at this point and like so not that much older than like what bob Goderkirk is now so i would like to see him pull something like that off so uh now that we put that in the ether maybe Ray Romano, I mean, he has a lot of money, obviously. He had a syndicated sitcom. I'm pretty sure he could, like, you know, try and make that happen if he really wanted to make it happen. Uh, so, Ray Romano, hope you're listening. Yeah, let's um, do it, Ray. Yeah, so yeah. there there we go. Uh, as usual, uh, if you want to follow Daniel on Letterboxd, he's Felonious Funk. I'm Josh Chernovoy on Twitter and Letterboxd, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Twitter is at the Rewind Movie Pod. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Coming up next, we'll probably have an episode on another round with our friend Josh Brown uh, or maybe something else, but I think that's probably like the last thing. Or Oh, and we might have one on Godzilla versus Kong with uh, Daniel and our friend Elijah. It just depends on when I get those things recorded. Uh, those are the next two real movies you have to look forward to before we like are on the other side of the Oscars and have our top 10 podcast out. So everyone, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for all that, and we'll see you next time.